0: We are so happy to have you here. This is our third episode in our pilot series where we take a look at every pilot that the Star Trek franchise has produced. Today we'll be talking about The Emissary from the pilot of Deep Space Nine. So it was such a pleasure to rewatch this episode this week. I have not seen this particular pilot, I think, since I watched it. I never tend to rewatch Deep Space Nine for whatever reason. If I do, I think I will be tempted just to rewatch the whole show because I love Deep Space Nine and Mm -hmm. it's so addicting just to watch a couple episodes here and there. When was the last time you saw this pilot, Rihanna? I must have been the beginning of high school when we were watching it. When I okay, was yeah, so a fifteen-year-old. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have you seen it since? Nope. We're on the same page. That's yeah. awesome. I was reading a little bit about this pilot um, and how it came to be. So just to clear up about like some of the timelines, mm-hmm. season six of the Next Generation was just starting when this pilot aired. The last two seasons of the Next Generation take place during the first two of Deep Space Nine. Hmm. So when we see Picard throughout this, he's hanging out in the sixth year of his command of the Enterprise. That's so interesting. Yeah. I wasn't sure if he would be post-Enterprise or not. This show started running in 1993 and ended in 1999. So they got another seven years of Deep Space Nine. The first season of Voyager starts in DS9's fifth season. So these shows are all boom, boom, boom. They all overlap. This is kind of the peak of Star Trek. This show was created by Rick Berman and Michael Piller, who were just Legends. P- literal pillars. Uh, <laughs> and they were on the executive team for uh, The Next Generation. And so at this point, Gene Roddenberry was really not participating at all in Star Trek. He... He had no hands on this, and I think he only received money for it because he was built as the creator of uh, Star Trek. The idea for creating the series came from a lot of plot lines that are developed in Next Generation. Mm -hmm. And they really wanted to focus on the characters of the Bajorans and the Cardassians, Mm -hmm. which they had introduced in TNG. We, We know about Ro. She's a classic character from the Next Generation who's a Bajoran, and she has a couple of awesome episodes. Totally. She has such great arcs in those episodes, mm-hmm. too. Seriously. Mm-hmm. And then the Cardassians appear – aren't they in are, – don't they torture Picard? Like, is aren't yes. these villains? Yeah. So <laughs> they, they appear in um, Chain of Command, part one and two. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's their first appearance, but I know that was, like, a huge plot point because they had to enter Cardassian space to go and yeah. get him, Crusher, and – Wharf had to like be undercover. (laughs) This happens a lot in my life where I want people to see Deep Space Nine, but I'm worried they can't appreciate it if they haven't seen Next Generation Mm, because I have never seen Deep Space Nine without the foreknowledge of Next Generation. Yeah. And so I know how scary the Cardassians are because of Chain of Command. That is a dilemma I always have is I'm trying to think, will people understand and will they appreciate Deep Space Nine without having seen Picard in action? The thing I found most interesting is the way that they introduced the Cardassians in the pilot Yes, helped me to sort of fear them in a different way than what I remembered from The Next Generation, but Mm -hmm. in a way that made the context more real to what was happening on Bajor and on Deep Space Nine in general. It can work, you know, to Mm -hmm. just dive into Deep Space Nine. It's so true. I really thought that this portrayal of the Cardassians was a lot lighter in this episode those were just some thoughts i was having even when i was just like reading about the history of the show so mm-hmm. they're intentionally drawing from the series but i think it's kind of a smart pull also because those episodes in next generation stand out as some of my favorite ones Absolutely. especially the one where roe and geordie are both oh. yeah they're Time both skate. invisible that they're both dead so yeah yeah it's so we, we i <laughs> and i talk about that one a lot um, <laughs> but i love that episode with roe and i know there's some other ones where there's conflict between roe and Riker. Mm -hmm. um but what a interesting tiny little dash of plot to pick and then create a whole entire series about it absolutely i think i just think it's pretty bold of them to do yeah and this also was the first star trek series to use cgi as we get to see a lot of in this episode (laughs) (laughs) wow i didn't know that but it makes sense So, a thing that I learned from the excellent documentary called What We Leave Behind, it's a fan made Mm. documentary that includes the majority of the Deep Space Nine cast and asks them questions about it. They open up the documentary reading letters from fans that absolutely hated Deep Space Nine when it first came out because it was on a station, because it was (laughs) solitary and not going out and exploring. These fans completely hated the beginning of Deep Space Nine, and we're like, this is not Star Trek, this is awful. And these actors were getting hate mail from Star Trek fans hate saying mail. like, this isn't real Star Trek. And another tidbit I discovered in that documentary was that Avery Brooks the way that we see him in the first pilot mm-hmm. is like cleanly shaven and like short cropped hair and everything and yeah. that's because they wanted to give him an image of put together and professional but mm-hmm. he was really trying to bid for like oh but I want a beard and I want to look like how I normally look as an actor but they thought because he's a black man like they want him to look as professional as possible and I thought that that was a very like, kind of racist intention for him, you know? They're mm. wanting to, like, present him a certain way. And as a side note, actually, Kate Mulgrew had to go through a lot of similar stuff with how her hair looked and how she had to wear it in a bun versus if she wanted to wear it down, you know, all this stuff that none of the white captains had to deal with. We do see Avery Brooks get to have his full-fledged amazing beard yeah, I'm later on. in the next couple seasons, he yeah. has a nice beard. Obviously, everyone who's going on TV is getting makeup on, so... Yeah. You know, everyone's looking their best. What's wrong about that is that they're not making those decisions for about his hair for the character. Yeah. They're making the decisions because of how they want to appeal to the audience. It- we also have to celebrate that this is the first time we've seen a Black actor lead Star Trek. Yes. Just... In general. There I mean, there are several black actors and actresses in Next Generation, but we haven't seen any captains that are leading the franchise. And so it's really cool to see that Avery Brooks is on screen here. I'm sure Nichelle Nichols was just so happy as 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 being a pioneer. Yes, I completely agree. And one thing I want to add to that too is also to see a black man who was a present father as well. He's yeah. so devoted to Jake. Jake's his priority um, over pretty mm. much anything else. Yeah. Anyway, just to see a present father who's a person of color is so important for anyone watching the show. It's just good. good for everyone. Yeah, good for <laughs> yeah. everyone to see yeah. that sort of stereotype being slashed. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to talk a lot about stereotypes being slashed in this episode. So let's jump into it. Yes, let's jump in. Rihanna. Mm-hmm. explain the emissary as badly as possible. The shortest episode of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that one really got yeah. me. I really love How I Met Your Mother, so that, <laughs> that, cut, that cut deep. Um, okay, you what's yours? Problematic new Starfleet commander blackmails a shop owner in order to stay working on the ship. <laughs> Because I think that was not resolved, and that should be the badly explained <laughs> plot You know, I never thought of it that way, but you ready? Yeah, I mean, I you don't ready? know about the emissary or anything else going on, but I am watching Quark in this episode. <laughs> we are just eyes I've on Quark. I've got his back. <laughs> Speaking of Quark, you want to talk about Quark first? Wow, starting out the episode I mean, do you with Quark—that we should—is that like morally correct? <laughs> Why? Why not, is the question. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so we heard about Ferengis really early in The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. The fourth episode, they're like these little guys that are stealing from the Enterprise. They're not really the heroes, the Ferengi. They're portrayed as kind of foolish, um, who are just trying to swindle people out of their money. Pretty much, sounds right. Yeah, yeah. So what are you thinking when you see Kirk on the station? Well, from past experience... I'm thinking, oh boy, another Ferengi. Here we go. (laughs) And of course, the way they're acting right away, we see Nog with this dude trying to steal stuff. Even I remember watching this and being immediately not a fan of Quark. I thought that he was going to be another brass Ferengi. Also, he's pretty problematic in this episode, (laughs) which is not a great start for a character that I grew to love so much. So Mm -hmm. uh, what did you think about Quark? Well, I totally agree with you. My my first time watching through, I hated pretty much everything about this pilot in the beginning. <laughs> and I totally agreed with those Star Trek fans you were talking about. Because when I first saw this, I was so used to having my Star Trek on spaceships. Yeah. And uh, my Star Trek is not in an airport hangar. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but this time around, you know, having the knowledge of all that I do with Star Trek, I can kind of see through what we're trying to set up in mm-hmm. terms of the plot lines for all of these characters. And I feel like out of everyone that's going to grow to become a main character, Quark is probably the most undercut mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has a long arc that's set up in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, in that same vein, I feel like a lot of the introductions to the characters that we grow to love in this pilot are less than ideal <laughs> because in the next mm. generation, I feel like we get a lot of really lovely introductions to characters and they're painted in this nice light. But Deep Space Nine starts out with Kira, who I, of course, am super obsessed with. I think she's an awesome character and She's super one strong of my willed. favorite characters as well. Yeah. yeah, but she comes off very hot-headed and angry and tough to get along with in this first episode. And Julian Bashir also comes off as rude unthoughtful the frontier medicine thing that comment he yeah. made about yeah kira um sounded very like white colonist and <laughs> i was just not mm-hmm. here for it really the only people that i liked in this episode were judzia dax cisco and maybe odo like <laughs> not many i did not see that as a negative i don't know maybe it sounds weird but i appreciated that they went one by one and set up all of that about these characters. I love that they are giving this strong base to these characters. Now I can say, what is Bashir like as a character? Mm-hmm. And you know, just because of this weird way he acted, that he's privileged, yep. that he's really smart, that he thinks he's the best, he's got a huge ego. Mm-hmm. I think that is a smart way to set up the character Absolutely. because just by showing that scene, I mean, we, he was probably in what, like five minutes of this whole episode? Yeah. But I already had five or six descriptive words about him. So true. Which yeah, is more than impressive. I can say of the doctor from the cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could maybe Absolutely. say he was like grumpy and sassy. <laughs> <laughs> and like to drink and that's it but I don't I don't know anything else about his background or history and so I I guess what I'm trying to say is yes okay these characters are rough yeah (laughs) they are coming from all these different perspectives and we're used to a crew that gets along and everyone smiles yeah but this show and this pilot is rough and tumble totally good luck here's a bunch of weirdos I hope they get along on this station Yeah. yeah and Ashlyn I love that point because It's so true that even the station itself is a complete wreck when Cisco gets there, when he docks with Jake. And it's because the Cardassians had just completely trashed it before Mm -hmm. they left. And it shows that this is not going to be a fun posting for him. This is going to be something that's really tough. And no wonder he wanted a different assignment when he first saw this. It's a really tough thing to come to being right in the middle of this civil unrest between a planet conflict between two species no one even wants starfleet there like they already have established people on the station and he's having to come in and they describe starfleet as administrating you know which i think is pretty much just lingo for we're taking over but we're not telling you that and it doesn't paint Starfleet in this beautiful light. It doesn't allow for the hopeful Roddenberry-esque themes that we grew used to in the original series. I'm only, series on I'm only laughing. I'm only laughing because these roddenberry esque themes are not here yet. Right at <laughs> the beginning of this episode. No. Well, okay, so I want to talk about there are a couple scenes that are really interesting. Even in the first 10 minutes, yeah. this pilot is action-packed. And another reason why this pilot is so different from the first two that we have seen, another reason why this series is so different from the other two series, is that this pilot is about Cisco Mm. and about Cisco's journey. Yes. And we had a little flavor of that with Kirk in Where No Man Has Gone Before because we learn about his Starfleet days with Gary Mitchell, but this is way more than Starfleet days. We see his wife get murdered by the Borg in like the first couple minutes- Mm -hmm. We see Sisko become a widower in this episode. Mm -hmm. We see him alone with his son. We're learning about this man who's full of hatred. And now he's just been posted at a station where everyone else is full of hatred. Mm. And it's a very negative start to all of this. For some reason, I really like that. And I think also it's because I know what's going to happen. There's so much to build on and there's so much to grow. The station is dirty, so they got to clean it up. Yeah. You know? And I'm excited to see them clean it up because yes. I like the way that they're introducing these characters. Yes, Ashlyn, thank you for saying that. And I think it's tragic that the last face Cisco sees before his sh- ship is starting to get torn apart is mm-hmm. Locutus of Borg, is Jean-Luc Picard's face, yes. you know, even if it's with all the Borg technology on it. Of course he's going to feel this resentment towards Picard when he shows up at the station and then is telling Cisco what to do, and he's being yes. very brazen and brash, and that is not what Cisco wants to hear right now. He wants to hear an apology, even though he might logically know that it's not Picard's fault but how could you not feel resentment upon seeing that person's face connected with your wife's or your spouse's murder and such a relevant moment that shapes his entire being you know I mean even the prophets are telling him that you exist here you exist in this place of trauma he's stuck there (laughs) he's stuck in the Saratoga in that room with his wife and what a horrible tragedy to start out a show that demonstrates the horrors of war you know i think it sets the tone so well to a a show that they hadn't even planned out this big war yet i'm sure the writers hadn't been like okay we have all seven seasons written you know i love your points and it had me wondering Mm -hmm. whether they were purposefully trying to make picard seem a little villainous in this episode it is bold to choose the one moment in all of star trek history that picard is a villain he is yeah. never a villain ever in his life except when he's literally taken over by the borg so true. as cutest, and for that to be the thing that's going to define this series mm-hmm. is that they're choosing a character who lost someone while Picard was evil. And I think they do this for a couple of reasons. My best guess is that they're trying to show, not tell Yeah, what kind of story this is going to be. This Absolutely. is not a forgiving story. This no. is not about families on the Enterprise hanging out with Q. This is about people who are fleshed out and who are really intriguing characters interacting with each other and... Having these insane interactions with the culture and all the politics going on in this situation. I really thought about the fact that Cisco had to leave her body, Jennifer's body mm. on the Saratoga, and how that was one thing that was really hurting him was like, she doesn't belong here. We can't Ugh. leave her here. They're, the ship's about to explode, but they're dragging him onto the escape pod. And it made me think about, I read a lot of mountaineering books, mm-hmm. and I read one about the first American ascent of the mountain Annapurna in the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. It's It's one of the tallest mountains in the world. Mm. 10 women went up there. It was an all-female ascent. Mm -hmm. Two women died in the attempt, and their bodies are still on the mountain, and they couldn't go pick them up. This is kind of a morbid twist, but it really had me thinking about this, because leaving someone's body there is really hard. These women, they knew each other, and they knew each other's families, and Mm -hmm. they were all friends, and... To have to choose to say my life is more important Mm -hmm. than your deceased body is really an insanely difficult choice to make. Someone who you're so devoted to. Yeah. It just had me thinking about those women who their bodies were left Mm -hmm. on Annapurna. And it had me thinking about in war and in times of intense struggle Mm -hmm. that sometimes you have to make those hard decisions. And Deep Space Nine (laughs) is a show about making hard decisions. And they're not afraid to say it. And particularly because humans attach such meaning to burial of bodies and sending off like proper funerals and it's entrenched in so many religions and cultures that that's why I think it's harder in those moments when you have to leave a person's body behind because you can't give them that proper send off. And then your grief sort of remains in that place. And that's why his grief and his trauma remained on the Saratoga that day defined both Picard and Cisco's for the rest mm. of their life you know oh I mean we gosh. see in Picard oh. that being Locutus still haunts him this trauma really reinforced the way he acts for the rest of his life as well as it does for Cisco. and I think that is really interesting when they meet Picard backs down and he physically sits and like I think it's a really lovely gesture Of Picard respecting that moment. Mm -hmm. And because I think he probably carries a lot of guilt, Picard does. Totally. Well, I wanted to talk about this scene, actually, because... Mm -hmm. There are so many things happening, and I, I was a little disappointed. I don't know what I was expecting from Picard in this scene, because I wanted him to apologize to Sisko, and that's yeah. probably because we just saw Sisko's wife brutally murdered exactly. by Picard. We are in Sisko's so, perspective. Even though for seven years I was devoted to Picard and, like, would marry him at any time, Yeah. <laughs> in this episode, I've just seen this trauma that mm. Cisco has been through, and I'm mad at Picard yeah. that he doesn't even say anything Absolutely. to Sisko about it. I was mad at first, and then as the conversation continued, I realized that Picard instantly knew that Sisko meant business, and mm. he was not there for formalities. He was there because he had to be. yeah, Because this was his duty, and he's not interested in anything Picard is doing. And so I think Picard drops the demeanor and drops the friendly captain, and just yeah. is right down to business, too. He's meeting him at his level, mm. which is maybe the only thing he can do. That's so beautiful. That really helps me sort of reconcile that scene in my head a bit better, because... Do you remember when we first watched this and we were furious <laughs> because especially you, you are like a ride yeah. or die card fan. Yes. So, And we just come off of the uh, oh, post-series the... depression, you know, when yes. you finish a good series, especially yes. a good Star Trek series, and then you're like, nothing will be as good as this one. And you're yes. starting a new one and everything's scary and different, especially when you have a beloved character come on and is kind of a mean dude. This is reminding me of, Rihanna, McCoy in Encounter at Farpoint. Thank you. (laughs) I got so many similarities between them. Yeah. I think we're finally getting a taste of what other people feel Mm. when they come on the Enterprise and they encounter Picard. This yeah. is what they're getting. Is this professional so demeanor? They haven't had a forty-minute backstory about Picard is conflicted because Worf just turned into an ape, right? And, <laughs> and so now he's stressed. Yeah, like, well, like we, we better figure this out before we start swinging like monkeys around the <laughs> ship. I think Dirty said that or something. Yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah, gosh. exactly. Um, so not that that's the episode Picard had just right. come from. I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> when he just came from (laughs) but i had two minds either picard's just being really cold Mm -hmm. or patrick stewart's phoning it in but when i think about patrick stewart I just never think he would do that no, intentionally. I, I think he was incredibly passionate about Star Trek. Yeah. Or even if he wasn't, he was an amazing actor, so we yeah. never could tell. Right. Um, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and I think he would be just as happy to guest star on this episode. And he's really in quite a lot of it. I was yeah. thinking when he appears later as a prophet, they control the image of Picard. And, of course, Patrick Stewart is filming all mm, of this. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me think more about like how Patrick Stewart is playing Picard mm-hmm. and that he wants to be cold and calculated and serious to match Cisco. I did think they have that handshake at the end of the episode. Yeah. So to me, that was the official like baton is passed. Totally. I think there is a difference in their meeting in the beginning of the episode and their meeting at the end. I agree. I think new Cisco has yeah. appeared and Cisco is uh, there at the oh, end. Absolutely, because he went through so much. Um, another thing that I found a little bit unsettling about the first meeting Cisco has with Picard. So he says to Cisco, "You must do everything short of violating the Prime Directive to get the Bajorans into Starfleet." I know that Picard also got these orders to tell Cisco. It's such a bizarre thing that I kind of forget about Starfleet because it's painted in such a good light in the original series and Next Generation. But Starfleet is truly a system of integrating species into the fold. And for the most part, you know that it's coming from a place of we want to give you resources as well as like you help us with our resources. But in this circumstance, it felt pretty sketchy. (laughs) You know, It felt like Starfleet's coming in and trying to disturb this very fragile environment that the Bajorans are in at the moment and trying to assert their own agenda. And it felt like Picard was very strongly forcing that agenda on cisco and i don't know i just found it a little bit disturbing and showing a bit of the cracks in starfleet when picard said that i was thinking then what rules do they follow if they're not following any rules except the prime directive yeah that's that's insane they can do whatever they want there's no culture uh, at least on Bejor, that does not already know about the presence of starfleet and kardassia and other alien life forms Mm -hmm. You don't even need to talk about the prime directive, right? Exactly. Yeah, that is sketchy, and that was a red flag for me, too. Mm-hmm. I was worried about it, but thank the prophets that they chose someone like Cisco, yeah, to be on this station. Do you remember who the admiral is who no, put him there? I don't know I have- how he was, um selected and maybe it was destiny i mean maybe the prophets have some kind of power it doesn't seem like they care about anything outside of the wormhole no but but cisco is the emissary right and so i i wonder if they were guiding him to the wormhole or if maybe they have a really thoughtful starfleet commander yeah and i think it shows that cisco has this good soul deep down that he can really power through and that he actually needed this he needed a, a position like this also, can I just say that Cisco absolutely violated the prime directive right away? <laughs> I know it wasn't his fault because he was forced oh, into the wormhole. Oh man. Oh man. But, oh man. Um, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, I was laughing god. so hard because right when he gets into the wormhole and he's thrust into this world, he's immediately like, "Yep, I'm from another world. I'm an alien." Here's my perspective on time and on, okay, you know? okay. So, but he was forced into it. Like it's not really his fault because I don't know how else he would have gotten out of that without explaining himself. Okay, but did he break the prime directive Absolutely. though? Absolutely, like, they had oh. no idea even that time was a construct, let alone. Human beings are they pre warp? I don't know because they don't have warp, or this is what I'm saying. Like, is this just like a lower level version of like the Q continuum Mm -hmm. where they're just beings who can control everything, right? Within this wormhole, perhaps. So, but that if the wormhole is all they know. Then oh, it still feels geez. like a violation of the prime directive to tell them all about something that exists outside of the wormhole. I mean, yes, he then pulled a very good Starfleet move and he got did a card maneuver. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He got access for the wormhole for everyone, which is great. Way to go. But also, <laughs> I did not ever think that. I never thought he was violating the prime directive. I mean, I think they justify it because mm-hmm. they do kind of explain these beings to be way more powerful than we are yeah but you make a great point they have no (laughs) ships yeah they have no way to travel that we know of right and they're just stuck in this one place and Mm -hmm. isn't that kind of like right now we're all stuck on earth because we can't travel anywhere else we don't know that there's other beings out there just like the prophets don't but you just like awakened a level of wokeness (laughs) i did not think i could have can we talk about that wormhole scene I think that Cisco handled this really well, considering he was thrown into this crazy white space, (laughs) Um, not able to move, only able to be thrust back into his memories. Um, He's seeing his dead wife again. It's a very, very tough moment, and yet he maintains his cool, and he shows his Starfleet training he really accepts that they don't understand time and yeah he's a little bit like what you don't get time like how do I even start this but then he just thinks for a minute calmly and carefully and then does it, you know? And that's one of the things I admire so much about Cisco, and that he continues to show episode after episode, season after season, that he is steadfast. I had a theory formed Uh while I was watching this scene. I think that high-level Starfleet officers have a dictionary mode that they just (laughs) turn on when an alien is like, what is time? And then they're like, time is a construct of... (laughs) We have <laughs> linear time, you yeah, know, exactly. and because I- probably people who have to do this kind of like negotiation Mm -hmm. with different species have to be very informed about how humans work and how to relate to other people in the very simplest terms. And so I I was also impressed. He was able to just turn on his dictionary mode (laughs) and he really shut down all his emotions. Yeah, he's patient too. I'm very impressed with Cisco. He's cool as a freaking cucumber. How is he not a captain already? I know. I know. I think because this is the first time he gets to demonstrate this. I also really liked when he's trying to explain to them that we don't know the outcome of our actions and they're horrified. You know, the prophets are like, if you don't know the outcome of your actions, why do you act at all? And he says, it is the unknown that defines our existence. And that it's exactly how Cisco has been living his life, I think, ever since his wife passed that he's leaping into these unknowns and like even joining starfleet is an unknown that is where the roddenberry came in for me i was like ah there it is (laughs) yes this was exactly what i was talking about earlier Mm -hmm. this is my roddenberry moment so everyone who was afraid this was going to be a show about trashy stations and (laughs) gambling ferengi no No. this is about ideology Mm -hmm. and Coming together as a species. Mm-hmm. And for Cisco, before his wife died, he had the illusion of control, like mm. probably we all have. We all think we're in control of our housing situation. We think we're in control of our family members mm. or the people around us or the friends that we have or the job that we have. But Cisco learns, we're Mm -hmm. not in control of anything. In one day, his wife was taken from him. His dream job was taken from him because he was full of sadness and he couldn't work anymore for Mm -hmm. the next three years. Those three years, if Jennifer hadn't died, he would have been climbing the ladder and would have been promoted. I promise. Absolutely. But would he have been the person and the strong commanding Mm -hmm. officer if she had not passed away, no, no, because he knows he's not under the illusion anything's under his control anymore, and it's made him stronger. Oh, and so wow. it just, it makes me think about my own life that not to live in fear that something crazy could happen that's out of our control, but to just be aware that, thanks, Star Trek. <laughs> now <Yes>. I'm <laughs> thinking about my mortality, <laughs> which... Oh, which about it yeah. in a way that... Helps you to live your life to the fullest, though. Yes, yes. It's not a negative. It's mm-hmm. not like the void. No. <laughs> of, what's the point of life? There's no meaning. Right. No. It's what are you doing in your life if it's not living it to the fullest? Even yes. if you have no idea what's happening. Absolutely. Next. Can we talk about Kira now? I thought it was rude and said more about O'Brien than it said about Kira. Where the first descriptor we get of Kira is, "Have you ever worked with Bajoran women?" is what O'Brien says. And Cisco says, no, and have you? And he says, I'm just wondering, sir. And so that implies that O'Brien mm. automatically hates her because she's headstrong and she says her opinion. I mean, you're allowed to not like someone, but the vibes that O'Brien is giving off, it is misogynistic Absolutely, to me. I was so mad when he said that because it's implying that yeah. every single Bajoran woman is a certain way, which is just yeah. feeding into a stereotype that's untrue and unkind. And- in the series, we've only ever met one other Bajoran woman, which is Ro. God. I mean, who wouldn't be hardened to the realities of life if you were a POW and if, if you've been fighting this war for years? I mean, come on. I Seriously. think I, I honestly blocked out the fact that she was a prisoner of war and yeah. that she was in the camps, like the Cardassian camps. Mm-hmm. Um, This first introduction we get with Kira is her just basically, like, tearing the person on the screen a new one, which I think was fantastic. Oh, it was amazing. Um, It was a great introduction. Yeah, and she is not backing down with Cisco. Like, he's supposed to be her superior now. Mm -hmm. You just gained independence from Cardassia. And then this Starfleet person comes in and expect you to just adhere to their just bow needs. Yeah. yeah what i also noticed about her is that she's understandably not easily trusting she's got such a hard exterior because she's had to be tough her entire life mm-hmm. and also can we just acknowledge since number one we've not gotten a female first officer um In quite a while. She knows so much about the station. She knows Odo, she knows Quark, she knows the people who have been on there for a while that she's a great resource for Cisco as well. Yes. Once, you know, they can start getting along and once it's more of an amicable relationship. But she doesn't back down. And I have so much respect for that cisco walks into ops sees that the office is at the top so everyone has to look up and he makes comment of this Mm -hmm. he says oh that the ship is designed this way because the Cardassians like everyone looking up to the leader so basically saying that goldukar liked everyone looking up to him which we yeah we know he's the worst and so then we're introduced to kira after o'brien makes his terrible comment right and i kind of love the way that they're setting this up without having to verbally spell it out that Kira thinks she's the boss and she's taking control because she thinks she deserves this office. And that is such great storytelling without having to just write it out for Mm. all of us to read or for a character to tell another character. And I think that's what I'm so impressed by in this Mm. pilot about how tight the writing is. Every setup that they had was satisfyingly resolved and I really, really enjoyed it. My other thought is that the relationship between Kira and Cisco obviously starts out as being rocky in this in the beginning of this pilot. And as we go on, I kind of was expecting some romantic mm. thing to happen where she's so strong-willed, but she's gonna like give in to him because mm. she likes him or mm-hmm. something. And there is none of that. There's yes. no romantic subtext at all. Thank and God. so <laughs> then <laughs> yes. So then when Dax comes on, mm-hmm. I'm thinking again oh, he, that's his best friend, Curzon, and yeah. now she's in a hot body. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. he's definitely gonna get with her, you know, or, or she's gonna like him. I'm only thinking this because of my primal ingrained instincts in me that are, like, hetero people who are single mm-hmm. have to date each other, you right. know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> because so, so many shows force that plot device onto women and onto female characters. Is well, that and they just, must have a love interest. Yeah, they must have a love interest More in just in a general sense that a show needs a couple or Mm -hmm. some sort of romantic plot to function. Mm -hmm. There is a tiny one with Bashir and Dax. And that was a surprise to me that she said yes to Bashir when he asked her out. But I was pleasantly surprised. And it made me like Bashir more. Dax is so self-assured Because the symbiote inside of her has been living for generations. Cisco Um, says 328 years uh or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love the scene when they're trying to figure out how to move the station closer to the wormhole before the Cardassians get there. And the women are outnumbering the men on – ops and yes. they are the powerhouse they are running the show yes O'Brien's helpful like he's a very good engineer he knows what he's doing he's chief engineer yeah, yeah exactly. and, and they're all working with Cardassian technology right which just sounds such so a stressful curve, such a learning yeah. curve I mean yeah. Cardassia is not within the Federation it's not like they learn this technology in their training no. but I just think that she defines herself very quickly within the station and I'm glad that Cisco also gets a friend as well. It's just, I think it helps to settle him a bit into his position. I have a question of ethics. (laughs) If you can see how you feel about this. Do you think that Odo's way of security is unethical? That he can literally turn into things to spy on people? Rihanna, wow. This is the serious one (laughs) of our podcast, but I'm so into it. I was a little bit... I freaked out by that because like what if you know you're just sitting in your room and then odo's like a box on your desk just watching your every move (laughs) like that's kind of terrifying and i don't know if that's entirely ethical like surveillance i thought it was funny because at one point um Kira calls down to Odo and says, are are you sensing an intruder? And Odo says, I don't know. My computer's been down for two hours. (laughs) And I'm thinking, what have you been doing for two two hours? hours? Is he not on patrols? (laughs) Is he not like having people running around the station? This is an Cardassian outpost. Right. Don't you think that there are going to be some intruders? Yeah. He's just sitting on his desk, like hanging out his goo. I don't know. about your ethical question, it is a quandary. Mm -hmm. I don't have any idea what law enforcement is like in the future. Yeah. In previous truck that we've seen, there's no such thing as like a jurisdiction because they're just guarding the ship. Right. With Odo, I'm sure they have everyone who comes aboard the station sign some sort of uh, (laughs) contract that says you Uh can't sue the station if something goes missing. (laughs) But I don't know. I think it probably is unethical for him to do that as much as we cheer because it's Cardassians and they're terrible. Right. Well, I, but, but I also, don't know. he's not always chasing Cardassians. It's a lot about Quark. And like I know Quark's business is sketchy and that like, yes, he's technically doing things that are illegal. But I feel like a lot of times Odo has very little evidence and he's like, oh, I'll just go follow them or I'll just turn into <laughs> something to spy on them. And that's what disturbs me a bit. I honestly don't remember too much about Odo and the specific things he does in the later episodes, at least in, like, the first couple seasons. I remember, like, more at yeah, the end. same. When he's, like, a developed mm-hmm. little guy. Me but too, yeah. I had a red flag when he was talking about Quark to Cisco. <laughs> As I said in the beginning, they're kind of blackmailing Quark yeah. to stay living on the promenade mm-hmm. by keeping Nog in yeah. prison. child. A child, <laughs> a child yeah. in prison. Odo, I think, is kind of bridging on f- xenophobia with mm. Ferengi. I think he does not like Ferengi. I don't know if it's just because he's had a lot of run-ins with mm. Quark, mm-hmm. and he's it's kind of like a Filch and Peeves relationship. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking <laughs> so uh, in Harry true, Potter, actually, yeah. where they hate each other just because they've been enemies forever and right. they always will be. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if it was that vibe mm-hmm. or if it was... I don't like you because you're a Ferengi. Mm. Odo was another character who I think was kind of cut short by this. He gets one line of development later that says, (laughs) I want to go to the wormhole because I was found in the Expanse and so I I might be from the Gamma Quadrant and I'm like really? (laughs) Poor Odo. Like the writers forgot about Odo. (laughs) I feel like everyone forgets about Odo and it's kind of depressing, but like there's always one character. Spoiler, but Kira doesn't forget about him. Oh! Ooh, except she does for like six years. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, <laughs> guy, yeah, he does not develop well. But yeah, thanks for answering my ethics question. So did O'Brien take on this assignment or was he assigned? I think he was assigned, but I don't know for certain. My memory is that he was serving on the Enterprise from mm-hmm. day one until season six and he's transferred off in this episode yeah he says goodbye to picard right and i think it was because he was promoted because in this episode he's chief of engineering that's a great that's, that's a big upgrade from transporter chief yeah so i was watching the timer of the episode as it went by because they really introduced a lot in the beginning they laid a lot yeah. of groundwork Twenty minutes in they introduced the idea of religion and the mm. Pa and the prophets and everything going on at Bajor. Yeah, I think the pacing in this episode was excellent fantastic! they did a great job of kind of wading us into the story and then this is the real core of this story is the wormhole and the prophets that come with it yeah. this is what makes deep space nine the most important station maybe in the galaxy so in two galaxies in For the real. universe yeah. <laughs> yeah. it becomes incredibly important because of cisco making accidental first contact with these prophets yes The religion aspect of the prophets is very interesting to me because Kira discusses it a bit, saying how the prophets were what we stake our entire lives on. Because yes, Star Trek deals with the religion quite a lot, but it's only really dealt with the strange new worlds they go to. (laughs) You know, I mean we see a lot of Landru is our god. We've only seen very primitive religion introduced of people who don't know that there is warp. Yeah. It's really al- that it's there's always space. a computer yeah. who's actually their god. <laughs> That's like every an original series episode. Or it's a alien race that they don't understand who yep. they perceive to be precise, Which is the whole reason that the Prime Directive right. is in place. When I think about religion, I need a little more proof and a little more something of substance Absolutely. for me to believe. And so I'm a lot more of a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. But I think if I was a Bajoran and... I knew that my gods were real. Of course, it is the foundation of the society because that means that there's a group of sentient beings who are taking care of you and watching after you. Yeah. I think that this is a really interesting and kind of safe way for Star Trek to introduce yeah. religion. But what do you think about that? Like, how do you think it's different than the other religions that we know? So instead of answering that, I'm going to answer how it's similar. <laughs> um, is It's the fact that... The Kai is the only one who can stop a civil war from coming is a little bit terrifying to me because that is so much power for one person to have. And um, like the, Kira said, like you have to convince the Kai or else we are going to be in civil war. Yeah. So do you think this is kind of an allusion to maybe like a Catholic Pope? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the, the difference is, The Pope never ran a planet, right? Of course, but like he only ran Italy and the and the Catholic people. But also think of this. The cap- Catholic Except when inf- their Pope was the king. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Oh, dang. And guess what? The Vatican is its own country, you know? Yeah. So it's already... Okay, um, I talked myself into it. You're yeah. right. Kaiopaka has very similar influence amongst her yes. people as the Pope does or as religious leaders do, which I think can be dangerous to have too much influence Stacked onto one person's shoulders, especially the influence of stopping a civil war of an entire planet is based on one person's word. I think it shows how desperate a situation that Bajor Mm -hmm. is in, Mm -hmm. that they're looking to their religious leaders. Yeah. But I also wonder, now that the Cardassians have left... And the occupation is over, does Bajor have a president? Or do they have a king? Right. Or do they have any kind of leadership at all? Or has it just right. fallen and they have nothing? And is the Kai, the religious leader, the only thing they can place their trust yeah. in? I mean it's so true. If you only have that, then of course you're gonna stack everything on the Kai. And I was wondering that too. How long has it been since Bajor won against Cardassia? I think it's been a couple of days, it feels like. I mean, yeah, because the station's a disaster. Yeah. And Goldukat is not a welcome presence. No. And he's trying to openly swindle away yeah. things from the Bajorans. Resource. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not apologizing. It's mm-hmm. not like Starfleet came to him, guns blazing, said, get no. out of here. They just took over like peacefully. Absolutely. I think a lot that Star Trek has something for everyone. And yeah. this episode really made me believe that all over again. And I started this podcast asking myself the question, could my friends get into this if they had never seen any other Star Trek before? Mm-hmm. And now that we've discussed it more and talked it through, I do think that even if you don't really know like what's going on with some of the characters, mm-hmm. overall, it doesn't really matter. And this is all of these Space Nine. These themes are real. And yes. this is a hard-hitting, true show. This show's like Kira. It's going to tell you the truth. Absolutely. And it's going to be very blunt about it. This is the third whack at a Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. And I think they knew if we're going to have a successful show, we have to change the formula. Yep. And this Roddenberry stuff won't do it. So and true. And to me, this was my favorite pilot. Yeah. To my same. shock, because I do not have any good memories of the first season, and I had completely the opposite reaction. This is my same. favorite pilot, and I think it's one of the best pilots I've seen in a long time for any Absolutely. show. Absolutely, I love The Emissary. It's, it does so many good things. I completely agree. People ask me what my favorite Star Trek series is, and I'm like, it's too hard to tell. But watching this pilot again, I can't help but be like, is Deep Space Nine my favorite series? Probably. I can't wait. Until, you know, we start another series and we can talk more in depth about Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I agree. You can just jump into this one without much context. I mean, maybe watch Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2 of The Next Generation. I was going to say, you should probably watch that. And Chain of Command Part 1 and (laughs) 2. Yeah. It's annoying to say that, but I do think you will have a much better understanding if you do watch those episodes. Right. After the wormhole opened and they said that they were in the Gamma Quadrant, Mm -hmm. I had to look up a map of the Star Trek universe. Yeah. And so we'll post it on our Patreon so everyone can see it, as well as um, our social media pages. But there's a great map that lays out where all the quadrants are of, you know, Alpha, Gamma, Delta, Beta. And then it also shows where the wormhole is and how it interacts on the map. It helped me lay out the universe because we are really expanding. And for next week when we watch the Voyager pilot, that is in a whole different Quadrant. Spoilers. Uh, Spoilers (laughs) for Voyager. But so I I think we should just get prepared and start, you know, just knowing where everything takes place and just get so excited that this universe is expanding and our podcast is expanding. I don't know if you have noticed, but we have quality microphones for this episode. (laughs) And that is because of our patrons. These are because of the people who give monthly to the podcast. We were able to raise enough money to upgrade, to have better microphones. We have a lot of wishes on our list. And we hope that you'll be able to help fund our passion and make this the best podcast that it can be. I love (laughs) talking about Star Trek with you, Rihanna. Same. It's the highlight of my week, every week. Absolutely. And so if you're feeling generous, I would really encourage you to take a look at the patreon.com slash Sisters. We, we just want to take a moment to really thank the people who are donating to our podcast. And we want to thank you for listening. We could not do this without you nope. and we are very very happy that we have all of our Duro sisters listeners out there yeah you're the fuel that gets us through these tough times in 2020 and we cannot wait to talk about voyagers pilot next week the caretaker and we hope that you take care thank you for listening to the Duro sisters podcast please join us next week as we watch voyagers pilot the caretaker If you like what you heard today, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the Dura Sisters podcast. Once again, we want to thank everyone who has become a patron and donates monthly to our podcast. If you are interested, please go to patreon.com slash Dura Sisters podcast to become one today. Any dollar amount counts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please give us five stars and leave us a review. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. Our outro, Worf's Revenge, was written by Arturo Voltaire. What's the least popular show on Bajor? Keeping up with the Cardassians!